And a big welcome back to the Endurance Hour podcast, episode 404. We are midway through the year, just over midway through the year. Back alongside Kona coach Wendy Mater, Dave Erickson here. Good podcast scheduled for today, the logistics involving a triathlon. We're going to walk you through all three elements, all four elements, because transition is a big element, of the triathlon. Things that you can take from our experience, questions from people actually preparing for a triathlon, so we can kind of walk you through what a early triathlete is thinking, what our experience will tell you, so you can better navigate a triathlon throughout the entire day. Plus, Wendy did a triathlon. What? How's how's it possible Wendy did a triathlon? You know she had knee surgery. The whole patellar just exploded on her knee, and now she's doing a triathlon Two, three months later, she'll explain that. But before she explains that, Wendy has a big discount announcement for the rest of the year. For those of you looking to train for your first Ironman 70.3, or maybe it'll be your second or third. Wendy, take it away. So for from now until the end of the year, we're offering 50% off all our Ironman and 70.3 training programs on Training Peaks. That includes beginner advanced plans as well as couch two plans. And then we have over a probably over a dozen race specific plans. So if you're thinking about doing Ironman Arizona, Ironman Coeur d'Alene, maybe in 2024, um, assuming that they have one in 2024, I think that's a rotating event that I just picked out. But again, you could go look at our plans on Training Peaks. And if you want a course specific plan, or our couch to beginner or advanced training plans. They're all 50% off with our code, which is T250. And that T is a small T. T250 will give you 50% off the price that you see on Training Peaks. So all of our prices listed on the Training Peaks account under Coach Wendy Mater are full prices, but the code, little T250. It, before we had 33% off, now we're going 50% off all plans through the end of 2023. So you can bank one of these, like buy one now, hold on to it, and put it in your calendar for next season, right? Right. So specifically, if you if you know the race date that you're doing next season, if it's not course specific, but you're doing another one, you can apply it to end on any race date. So if your race date is going to be November of 2024, you can purchase the plan now and apply it to your Training Peaks account mm. to end on race date. And then it'll populate depending on if it's a 12, 16, 24 or 32 week plan, it'll populate in your Training Peaks account. Brilliant. Great idea. I always like that with the Training Peaks. It depends on if you have a free account or a paid account. Uh, the, the information will stay there so you can reference it uh, from the last time you race and pull the data and go, okay, here's where I was. Here's where I want to be. What's realistic? Look at my notes. Um, it's such a great resource to have training peaks. And then you can reapply that plan. Once you own the plan, you can reapply it to a different date, right? Yeah. So if, if your plans change and you want to change the start or the end date of the plan, you can go in, type in training peaks, help unapply plan, and you'll follow the instructions to how to unapply it and reapply it to a different uh, race date. And you can always, you, again, you own it. Too. She'll help yeah. you out. I, mean, I helped a few people out the last couple months about how to do that. You know, I would suggest, I'm going to promote you, Wendy, you didn't know this, hire Wendy as a personal coach to walk you through these things because then she can keep tabs with you on a regular basis, weekly basis, make notes in your training plan for you. If you have a question, boom, it pops up on her phone. She can reply same day because that's what she does and help you get on the right path because these plans, everyone says, hey, one plan doesn't fit all. It all depends and everyone's life changes, evolves. You want to switch some dates around when he can help you do that. So when you do buy the plan, you have her access to her email. She's going to offer you a free Skype consultation, then discuss coaching, accountability, whatever you whatever you need, and uh, she'll work and help you out. So uh, all the information is on the Training Peaks account. Right. You can also thank find you. a direct link on endurancehour.com. Yeah, thank you. And just you know, a lot of the questions we get and we we talk about on the podcast are from beginners, kind of intermediate, those who have trained for maybe sprints and Olympics and they're advancing to the half or the full Ironman. Um, they have a lot of questions because a lot of them are self-coached. And so yeah. 
having a coach available to answer your questions, you know, basically 24 seven is really valuable. You've heard this phrase before, you don't know what you don't know. So you can follow a blueprint of a plan and successfully finish a triathlon. But when things pop up that you don't know the answers to because you just haven't done it yet, it's good to have someone to bounce the ideas who's been there, done that, and can explain, even though all of our training plans have videos within them that kind of walk you through terminology, uh, how to access additional information resources, how to work around what that week has for you, because that's what sets our plans apart. We put together and produced coaching videos that are within the plan, not just swim, bike, run on these days, this distance, this time, but oh, here's the video that they talk about for this training block. Oh, now it makes sense. So that's how ours are better than your blueprints. Um, yeah, I forgot where I was going with that, but it's not one size fits all. You can do it, but the personalized training helps and our videos and our plans are better than other plans. <laughs> Just say it. Speaking of triathlons, logistics of a triathlon. We all know swim, bike, run, transition in between. And Scott's got some questions for us. He listens to us quite a bit while he's riding indoors and he's doing his first 70.3. And he's got some logistic questions, questions regarding the difference between sprints, Olympics and halves. But before we get to that uh, topic, Wendy, when was your surgery date on fixing your patella? So I had surgery on March 31st. Okay. And so I usually do a little kind of celebration of something with my progress. I try to post something or do something significant for me every week. You know, it's kind of helping me count down the weeks to when I potentially, you know, eventually might be able to run again. And it kind of keeps me positive if I can track and post and see my progress. Yeah. So at 18 weeks post-surgery, I did a sprint distance triathlon. A sprint distance at and 18 it was weeks. 18 weeks post-op. And the reason I did it is this is celebrating 31 years of doing triathlon. I haven't missed a triathlon year. So I've done, I've done a, at least one, dis, one triathlon every year for 31 years. It happened to be, um, took place at Mountain View Aquatic Center, which is a mile from my house. So it was logistically, again, talking about logistics, it was close yeah. by. I walked there in the morning with my husband, Don. It was a pool swim. It was a 400 meter swim in a 50 meter pool. It was a 13 and a half mile bike and it was a 5k run. Now, having said that, obviously the swim was no big deal. My longest bike up to this point has been 15 miles. So the distance was fine. And then I've walked 5k's. And so I just, I'm like, okay, no big deal. I'll be able to put this together. But the competitiveness in me, um, it wasn't only like a long distance, biggest distance I've done in one day post patella surgery is I pushed it pretty hard. And so I did it on my mountain bike. And so I'm walking in, in the transition with my mountain bike. I saw other people, like when I first did my triathlon, they had a bucket set up so they could hmm. um, sit down on a bucket while they transitioned from the swim to the bike to put their socks and shoes on. Um, I, again, I had my mountain bike. I wore my swimsuit and cycling uh, triathlon shorts in the swim. So when I got out, I just had to put on my shoes and I did wear socks. No, 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 no. I didn't wear socks. I put on my shoes, my helmet, my glasses, strutted out on my mountain bike. I rode as hard as I could. Um, my knee hurt fairly, fairly a good amount, but it, it always hurts. And so I'm like, eh, let's just push it. It kind of went numb at mile five. So I was able to push it even more because it was numb. Numb meaning like the sides of my knee, the patella is fine. It's just all the surrounding areas on my knee tend to ache all the time. So I'm like, what the hell, let's just push it. And then, you know, I, I, I get done with the bike. Um, my goal was to break an hour and I did 58 minutes. And then my goal was to break an hour in the 5k. And I, I pushed it a, probably a little bit too hard. I ended up doing like 52 minutes trying to run. I couldn't run, but as I was watching other people pass me, as I was watching them run, I had this visual in my mind of what it looks like to run. So I tried to run, but when I see videos that Don took, I wasn't running at all. I was just kind of more of a race walker at that time. So I was really happy. I was really sore. And I thought of you, Dave, when I finished of, of we've talked about on the podcast before of wanting that feeling 
that you get sometimes, maybe all races, but you always get this feeling when you finish an Ironman. I felt like I had that feeling after finishing the sprint because it was, again, it was a big deal for me at the moment in my recovery to be able to do something like that. And I was really sore. So you had pushed yourself to a point like, this is what it feels like again. Let me soak in this feeling of pushing myself. Yes. I've got some numbness. I'm exhausted. My body hasn't been tested this hard and stressed this hard in a long time. Yes. And so I like that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, and again, I don't know if the after effects were from racing. It was a distance and intensity. Last week, again, going to my post recovery, post-surgery recovery, um, my left knee got irritated. So my left knee, my healthy knee, it popped while I was walking downstairs. So now I've, I've had a, I had a, I was making a comeback and now I've had a little bit of a setback, which is, you know, so I hear normal with surgeries, you have these, you know, making progress and then you're going to have these setbacks. And unfortunately it's my other knee that's also bothering me right now. Was it due to the triathlon? I mean, Maybe, maybe, you know, it happened four days after my race. So maybe that intensity caused some irritation more than the irritation it's had for the last 18 weeks. And then it just bothered my knee. Bummer. So your knee popped walking downstairs? Yes. Like a, like a buckle? What what kind of pop? No, it was just a, 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 like a knife stab. Oh, okay. Not a good pop. Not a good pop. I actually went no. to urgent care. I got an, I was scared. I'm like, do I have like a minor stress fracture, you know, hairline fracture or something? Got an x-ray. The x-ray was fine. There's just some swelling and some, something's there. Uh, right now it's healing. It's been a week. So I'm definitely better. I'm just really cautious at this point. I don't need to race anymore right now. (laughs) I'm very cautious. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I feel like, do we have a collective hug for Wendy right now? I feel like we want to hug Wendy. Like she's our hero. That's how I feel like right now is Wendy's like, let's get Wendy healthy. That's what I feel like. Like all of us, let's help Wendy. Yeah. Let's get me healthy. She's our leader. What's going on? This should not happen to to her. I'll take on your pain instead. So you have a healthy knee. Did you talk to your doctor before you attempted this try? No. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, uh, yeah, I haven't seen my surgeon. I saw my surgeon. Last time I saw my surgeon was at the 12 week mark, but wow. I, I've continued physical therapy and I just always have on my mind. My surgeon's like, you can do anything you want to do. Your knee patella is healed, meaning it's attached, yeah. right? Everything looks good from that perspective. I'm struggling with left quad strength. I'm struggling with left quad muscle build up again. I'm, I, I don't know why it's just for me, knowing how to build muscle, break down, build up type of process, I feel like it's very slow to get my left or sorry, to get my right leg size up. It's my legs aren't that big, but when you see me in cycling shorts, you can really see the significance, at least I can, between my right leg and left leg. And so um I mean, I continue with the strength training and that's really my primary, if not all I do from a, from a workout standpoint is I, I do some walking and I do some strength training. I've had that little setback because a lot of the stuff I've done with my right leg, I've needed assistance from my left leg, but now I got to let my left knee heal before I can really do too much on my right. So it's disappointing that I have, I've had this setback. It kind of mentally did me in a little bit for four days. You know, everyone has seen me so positive and there's just some negativity in the background as well. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, sounds like it's uh, the athlete in you was unleashed and it didn't care what was going on with the rest no. of your body. It's like, I want to get out there and do this. Yes. Yeah. It was really fun though. It was really fun. And I wouldn't go back and not do it. I, I would have done the same thing. Like I, like again, this knee popping, this knee has been crackling. My left leg has been crackly for five months. It's taken a lot of the weight. Yeah. Yep. You know, the, these, um, column contralateral injuries where the opposite side is usually impacted. And that was mm-hmm. always been my biggest fear since day one is getting injured somewhere else on my body while my right leg heals. And that's exactly what happened. I think I caught it though. I mean, for me going to urgent care and getting the x-ray was peace of mind knowing what it's not. 
and just let it allow it a, a, another week or two to heal. And if it continues to bother me, go get the MRI and see what's in there. I've been stubborn over the years on self-diagnosis of like what's well, in some cases I have like, oh, well, that's what that is. Or I'll look it up and figure out what it is versus, you know, trying to find get schedule a doctor appointment. Um, and then I remember that right before I, the, my last straw on my right. Uh, what was it? I forget what it was. Right knee, I guess it was uh -huh. where I had the cartilage issues when I was running, just casually running. And there was a pop and it swelled up immediately. Mm -hmm. turns out, you know, there was a ripped cartilage or this frayed cartilage that got pressed between something nerves hurt. And that's why it popped and it swelled up. It's like, I need to go take this, take a look. I can't walk. This is ridiculous. Why should this happen? And, uh, after I, that peace of mind, it's like, Oh, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Let's clean this up. And next, you know, all right, no issues ever since it's like, Oh, all right. It's, it's worth it. Plus we're getting older. Mm -hmm. Um, it's bound to happen. It's going to happen when you've been a triathlete or putting yourself through a specific discipline for years on end. Yeah. There's going to be a wear and tear. You had a, a clip that I think was going on Instagram about, you know, can you get faster as you get older? And for you, 30 years of triathlon, well, you probably, it's so hard to get faster because you've got so many miles on the engine, right? If you started right. late in life, yes, you can get faster because you're starting with a, a cleaner slate. Uh, but because you've been through a lot, the body's been through a lot. Um, odds are there's going to be some breakdowns or some wear and tear in areas that, uh, just get worn down. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm, a I got 30 years behind me and now I'm 50. I'm some races like the triathlon I did put me in the grand masters category. <laughs> so I didn't know this at the time, but I ended up being third. There were three grand masters athletes. So I ended up getting a medal for being third grandmaster. And I'm like, I can't believe I could call myself in the grandmaster division, but some races say grandmasters is 50 plus some races do say grandmasters is 60 plus. But again, I tell people I'm a master's athlete with over 30 years and, mm -hmm. and stuff happens, you know, for me and for me though, again, this patella thing was just a, a freak accident more than anything. Never had any problems in my life. Now I have two. So <laughs> I just keep telling myself, you know, I just got to be patient and just wait, give it time. Yeah. You know, the thing is just about masters, you know, third place, you were the third, you have one of three and you got third. As we get older, and I think we all have to come to terms with it, that finishing is the success. Yeah. That's the PR in some cases where, you know, for the, for many years, and she's in our own backyard here, and I've had many conversations with a sister of Madonna Booter, is that she would want to open a new age group. And that was the accomplishment. Yeah. Just to finish a new age group to create, hey, it's possible. But mm -hmm. for, for, for us who are 50s, and maybe you're approaching a new age group, 55 to 59, or whatever it may be, or 60s, like... It's okay just to finish, and you're in a, in a way you're you're winning just by showing up on the start line. And if you finish, so what? Three people showed up. You got third because you showed up. <laughs> because you I showed race up. Race who shows up. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Even if even in a 25 to 29, you race who shows up. You may not be the fastest, but if the fastest didn't show up, now on the day you are the you're fastest. Fast. Whatever it is, yeah. it's it's who shows up on the day. And if you have you know, I, I heard this quote and I think about this when I, in my own personal training for a different sport is that someone would say, oh, it must, it, it must be nice that you can show up and just do this at a high level, whatever, the, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. It must be nice. You know, this is from a person who probably doesn't know the, the full, your full history. It must be nice that you can just show up, Wendy, and do a sprint triathlon at 50 after knee surgery. You know what? You weren't there telling me it must be nice when I was putting in the time for the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. Where was I when you were out on Friday night doing this or that and other thing? When I was on my bike for three hours, you weren't there telling me, oh, it must be nice to sweat my ass off for three hours on the bike, you know, four days a week for three, you know, it must be nice. No, you have earned this place right, in your exactly. life. So when you're 60, 65, whatever it is, you're thinking about this, it must be nice that you put in the time for 20 years to get here, to be able to be physically able to do this. That is your winning in life. Hashtag winning, right? Exactly. It is going to be nice as I approach later years of my life, late fifties, sixties, seventies, that I'm still going to have the mobility to be active because I take care of myself. Yeah. You earned it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You earned it.
where were you and where were you when uh when i was out there you know the, those early morning swims must mm-hmm. be nice that you're a fast swimmer you're so good at it you're so natural where were you at 4 30 right okay where were you when you were four years old in the pool <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yes oh you're so you're so naturally gifted not without work right exactly so scott said he had some logistic questions for us about a um he's doing his first 70.3 here's what he writes swim start given that it's self-seating regarding uh, the augusta 70.3 and i don't have much swim experience as many others what is the better option if i anticipate a plus or minus 45 minute swim should i start out with a 40 to 45 minute swimmers knowing that many in the group will be swimming past or over me as well as a few of the faster swimmers from the next group or start in the 45 to 50 minute swimmers knowing I may have to navigate past some of them. I love this question because there are different scenarios. Let's start with the Augusta scenario. So Augusta is point to point and you have the current pushing you to the end. And so you may be 45 minutes now in a non-current pool or open water swim. So you you need to know you're going to be, be faster and you just don't know how much faster. Like last year, athletes that I knew who were 45 minute swimmers were swimming 34, 35 minutes. The year I did Augusta, I was maybe two or three minutes faster than my normal 1.2 mile open water swim time. So that's important. Number two, it is a point to point swim. And so navigation wise, it's a different um, group dynamic where everyone is just swimming straight across. You don't have to worry about rounding any buoys. It's a wide enough lake that you there should no, be no congestion if you end up on someone's feet and you want to pass them. There's plenty of room to pass. So you're going to have people spread out in that type of venue. So if you take a venue that's um, relatively a calm water, I know every race I've ever done in Boulder, it's just been calm water. It's just kind of been the same current, no matter what um, type of year, time of year it's been, in my perspective. Then I would suggest a beginner swimmer swim in the 45 to 50 minute group of, of, of a little bit slower swimmers than yourself, because I think you'll be less anxious trying to pass people versus trying versus people trying to pass you if that's what you're worried about and if you are feel like you are a little bit faster than 45 to 50 start in the front because there's other people are in that group because they are they think they are that speed if you feel like you're a little bit faster start in the front right you have a little bit of clean water yeah and that that's yeah that's a really good thing to know as well and in the end i think and i've talked to people I think people see themselves relatively accurately. No one wants chaos, you know, whether you're an elite swimmer or an inexperienced swimmer, no one wants the chaos of trying to, you know, pull one over and say, I'm, I'm a 45 minute swimmer, but I'm going to start in the 30 minute wave. That's, that's just dumb to do. I don't think anyone does stuff like that, except, you know, a small percentage of people maybe. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And it, it, one thing about the swimming is it really is in your own head once you get out there. So it's, you know, your head, you don't, you can't chat with anybody. You can't like, Hey, how you doing? How are you on the bike? For example, if you were some slower cyclists or faster cyclists, you, you have a second to talk to somebody once you, cause you want, you, you said chaos, no one wants it. You want to get and get into a rhythm as quickly as possible. You want to just get a flow. You don't want anyone throwing you off, get your balance, right. Find some area where you can see well, you know what? So you, even if you have to widen that a little bit, I'll do that. I'll widen out. And if I breathe out on my left-hand side, cause I can see people, I'll go make sure everyone's to my left. Or if you're a right side breather, make sure everyone's to your right. So you can see everybody mm-hmm. just give some space. Cause I think like you don't, you want as a little as friction. You, you just want to get out there and get, get into a rhythm so you can get into your mindset, your mantra, whatever it is, you know, three strokes, breathe four, five strokes, breathe, whatever it is just to get into it and not have to worry about is someone over my feet or I'm trying to catch somebody or I'm trying to go side by side with somebody just get into a rhythm. So if you are faster than 45, 50, get in the front of the pack and just go fast, go, go first. If you're slower, get in the back of the next group and hope no, they don't catch you. 
Yeah. I think. Uh, second part of this uh, three-part question from Scott. Given that with most training and the short races, I typically will eat breakfast between one and two hours of starting the race or workout and will sometimes grab a quick bar if it's been closer to two hours. On race day, given the logistics of setting up and transition, closing at 6.30 like they always do, and unlikely starting my swim until two hours later, it's likely it'll be about three and a half to four hours since I had breakfast. Should I just have a bar or should I think about additional nutrition given the time difference? Um, Again, another great question. So typically in especially if you're doing a 70.3 or 140.6, you're going to be tapering down your training and eating the same way. So that's going to help load your muscle glycogen levels of be fully packed of glycogen to help get you through the race. That's what you're going to use for energy. And so eating breakfast and maybe not starting for three hours, a lot of athletes might take a gel or something like a hundred calories within that 30 minutes, you know, you're in line waiting, you know, you're going to, you know, maybe around eight o'clock, if you think you're going to start at eight 30, you might just want to take around a hundred calories before you start. Now, other athletes don't like myself, don't do that because I don't want any spike of blood glucose levels and I don't feel hungry and I feel fine. I feel like I've had sufficient you know, energy stored in my muscles from how I ate the days before, as well as breakfast, that I will go into the swim, even if I start three hours after I eat breakfast with nothing else. And then I'll start fueling right away as soon as I get on my bike. And so it's just do what you feel like you need. Sometimes you just are going to have this nervous energy and you're going to be expending calories just through nerves that you don't know. Or you might be walking around a lot more than you typically do. Um, logistically, you might have a long walk from the parking lot to the venue the morning of. And I think it's worthwhile to have a bar or a gel or whatever you plan on eating with you just in case you want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, four-hour difference, and this is for a 70.3. I mean, there's always, you know... the. As you're leaving transition, you have a, a banana or two, something that's not going to be too heavy, not too much, not too much in terms of liquid, but you need some hard calories. I always have the um, uh, the honey stinger waffles; those are 150 calories. I love those. But I think whatever you're doing, make it consistent throughout the day of what you'll have also later. That's why I think bananas are always a, a good one, and sipping something, some sort of electrolyte drink, four hours between breakfast and your start. It's not terrible. I don't know how much you have to fuel, maybe just snacking. Well, okay. And this is another thing that I've learned over time and my nutritional habits have changed actually as I've aged because I have the experience. I know if I'm, if I'm going to start, if the, if I know transition, my last chance to get in transition is six 30, but I know I'm going to start at eight 30. Mm-hmm. I'll eat breakfast at six 30. Because my breakfast is usually a bagel, banana, peanut butter, something like that consistency or whatever. And I will pack that in a baggie. I'll have my coffee and maybe just a small snack with my coffee in the morning at, you know, whatever, 5 a.m. And then I'll carry my the bulk of my breakfast with me. And I would eat that at 630. Knowing that I wasn't going to start till 830. That's also an option depending on what you eat for breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. If. Perfect. Yeah. If 8.30 is your race and you always have two hours, do what Wendy says. Eat at 6.30. You don't have to worry. You don't have to do it before transition closes. Yeah. Unless you eat like oatmeal or eggs or something like that, that you have to cook at home. That that also depends on what you want to eat. And, and eat that in the car on the way there. <laughs> yeah. How many times have you had a bowl of oatmeal on your lap on the way to a race? I mean, I'm, or, it's all, the timing is incredible, right? I mean, yeah. you're like, all right, I, I do sheet of paper the night before. Okay, get up this time. Got to have these calories by this time. Got to settle in here. Got to be at the race at this time. Transition closes this time. I mean, piece of paper, all these little markers. Okay, and then you got a timer on your watch, an interval timer. All right, on the on the race, every 15 minutes, I'm doing this. It's all timing. The work, Ti- the training's done. It's a timing. Timing is everything. This reminds me of a story. Um, back in the day, the early the early days of 
the nineties when I was doing 70.3s that were just called half Ironmans, I went to a race with my friend Dan and this was his first one. And he was a big, you know, he was, he was like probably six, five, just a big guy. He, he got up at like two or three in the morning and had a couple, um, bottles of boost or insure. Mm-hmm. And then he went back to sleep and then he woke up at whatever five and ate you know, like a bagel, peanut butter, banana. I mean, this guy was carbo loading up until the start of his race. Mm. And he ended up having a horrible race, GI distress. It was just Mm. way too, I thought it was way too much, but I'm like, okay, if this is something he's practiced, I don't know. You know, this is before we really knew much about nutrition. And so, um, the, the bottom line is, is whatever you're going to do, practice it in training. So key. So key. Yeah, and you'll you'll also recognize uh, what is too much and what's not enough in practice, in mm-hmm. training. If you are hungry after you're done with a bike ride, you didn't fuel right, mm-hmm. you know? If you've got a lot of salt uh, deposits on your face after a run or something, that's a clue too. You know, you'll, you'll see on your clothes, whatever, you know, if you're a heavy sw- sweater, yep. you need more salt, more electrolyte. You'll, you'll know these things in training. So when your friend did that at two o'clock, did he, would he do that during a training day? Probably not. Probably not. It. He was probably yeah. over analyzing nutrition or he read an article or he just overdid it. And I mean, again, being a bigger guy doesn't mean you need to fuel that much more the morning of. It just means you need to fuel a little bit more the days leading up to it. And that was also, there wasn't, the, people aren't as well versed then as they are now. Right, right. Uh, third part of uh, Scott's question here. Warm water liquid is hotter on my stomach. Again, given the time logistics, I was thinking of bringing a soft cooler bag that I can keep my water bottles for both biking and running cold. I know I could try and freeze the bottles, but by the time I get to start the run, it'll be six hours later. I know there could be, there will be watering and Gatorade stations on the run, but I'm uncertain by the time I get there, will they still be cold? I know some of the liquid intake will have to be dependent upon what the stops have like bike and run, and they may be warm, but at least in this way, I can have some cooler or colder liquid. Is it a bad idea to have a small, soft cooler bag in transition, knowing how little space there is? I was thinking I could hang on, hang it on my bike in transition. Hmm. So I think it's a great idea. It's just not allowed. So when you go to a 70.3, 140.6 World Triathlon Corporation sanctioned race, you don't have anything except your bike in transition. I believe, the now I'm thinking 140.6, I know you have all your gear in a gear bag. Mm-hmm. But for a 70.3, I'm pretty sure most races do the same thing where you get you get out of the swim and you grab your gear bag and then you go to your bike. So it's probably not allowed to have anything extra on your bike. You could probably have something on your bike, just not on the ground, right? You could have your your bike all loaded up with bottles. Yeah, but then what does he do when he um, goes from the about- swim to the bike? Is he gonna have something cold to drink after the swim? Where's he gonna put that when he's off on his bike? I think you'd have to check with the specific venue. I, and I could be wrong on a 70.3 if you're allowed your gear in there or not. Yeah. It should be in the athlete guide, which probably isn't out yet because August is, you know, five weeks away. Um, but it'll tell you in the athlete guide what's allowed and what's not allowed. If it's allowed. Yeah, I think you're overthinking it, Scott. It's not, it's not it's not a really that big of a concern on the coldness of things. I mean, if in the morning, okay. So your, your, your race starts in his case, he's thinking eight 30, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say he's got, he's 45 minutes later on the swim, 50 minutes, whatever. So not even nine 30. If he has a really cold bottle of whatever in his swim bag that he picks up after the race, it's still going to be cold because it's not hot outside. And those bags they're not gonna get. I mean, you, if you tuck it away the right way inside your bag, it'll still be cold. It's not hot out yet, so you're gonna have something cold to put on the bike. Now the concern is probably from bike to run of having something cold. Probably, case, I would say that's probably the biggest thing. Augusta, you're gonna have ice on the on the A stations. The first set of A stations gonna have ice. They're gonna have. If you want to carry an empty bottle, there's one option. 
carry an empty bottle to the first aid station, which could be the first quarter mile, right? Or uh-huh. it'll be the first mile. Empty water bottle, first aid station, dump it with, put some ice in it, and then put their water in it that they have on site. And then you have a cold bottle of whatever, and you don't have to worry about it being too warm. I think that's a good idea. Now, it is a legitimate concern that that aid stations could run out of ice to keep things cool. That's a legitimate concern. Most World Triathlon Corporations have that figured out yet. Mm -hmm. And Augusta being known for a very hot environment, it used to be in August. Now it's in September. It's not going to be quite as hot as it has been in past years. Mm -hmm. I don't think logistically that's going to be a problem at that specific venue because it is a two-loop course. So if if an aid station for some reason happened to run out of everything, anything, it's a quick fix to get to that aid station to resupply them with whatever they need. So I, again, for this specific venue, I don't think you have to worry about things being too warm. And that's where you, that's why these entry fees are so high. They, they're taking care of taking care of me in those cases i have never really come across an issue and that being a half iron man versus the full i would think that you're gonna you're gonna ha- they're gonna have plenty of supply it's the it's the full day stuff where like uh people are over you know they're super hot they're taking as much as they can but this is what they do it's their business model to make sure everyone's taken care of yeah but i do like your idea dave of of considering taking an empty water bottle to the first aid station, making sure, because usually the first aid station is going to have all the supplies. Yeah, no matter what. Filling, yeah. filling it with ice, filling it with water, and keeping that cooler bottle close to your body to pour on your head mm-hmm. throughout the nature of the run. That's not a bad idea. And not a not a huge one because you're going to be carrying it, you know? Yeah. Not a huge, you know, 32-ounce bottle, and 16, maybe 12, whatever, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then just tuck it in your jersey if you want, if you, unless you want to carry it, because those can you know swish around quite a bit. Or if you have a flask or, or something smaller, like one of those smaller, uh, not Newton ones, but uh, Nathan Nathan bottles yeah. that can be part of your hand, like a glove that holds on to the bottle. That might be something, too, that you have instant access to a drink. Right. And then if it is super hot and humid, um, some tricks you could do is pour water, ice water if you have a cap. Take off your cap, fill up your cap with with ice and pour, pour it over your head. Um, stuff ice down your tri suit or whatever you're wearing to keep your body cooler are just some things you can do over the course of an event that you don't normally do in training because in training you don't have access to those aid stations. Or you may you may think you're running on a course that has water fountains and then the water fountains aren't working. I hear that a lot from athletes. Oh, I had this perfect plan to stop at all these water stations on my route and none of them were working. Um, one thing you you don't want to do is you don't want to accept aid from a friend or family member because if an official sees you accepting aid out there on the course, you could get disqualified. I've never seen that happen, and I would th- I would hope they wouldn't do that. I hope they give you a warning because. Let's say you let's say you're a slower athlete and you're having a rough time and someone mm-hmm. you know, hands you something like disqualified, dude. I'm just out here barely getting by. You're gonna disqualify <laughs> me? Who cares, right? Right. Hopefully they wouldn't do that, but right. I mean, but but you sense. could get disqualified. I remember right. one guy, that he was an elite. He was qualified. He was he was he could have had a Kona slot. A friend, not a friend, but someone I knew from Colorado, accepted chapstick from his wife, and he got disqualified so stupid and he was on course to um get a slot to kona at that event i think it was a i think it was in iron man chattanooga in 2008 or 2009 i can't remember which uh i think it was my first kona that i went to witness not that mm-hmm. i participated but I, to witness and i remember there uh after the the first loop before they went out in the queen k for the run um and i didn't know a lot of big names back then because it was very early into the iron man scene and there was uh, someone running, I, I can't remember if it was with Craig Alexander or uh, Andreas Raylier. These names that people may not know. Anyways, there was a guy who was running side by side in flip flops with, I think, Andreas. Uh-huh. And who I was with was saying, uh oh, he could get disqualified for pacing from an outside source. Uh-huh. And all the guy was doing was, you know, hi. And that guy, uh, hello, I got a, a little princess over here saying hi to me. Um, the fact that someone was running alongside, just chatting with them and talking with them, just, you know, maybe 20, 30 yards, not very long. And they were chatting with him and going, oh, I was told 
he could get disqualified because the guy would be considered pacing him mm-hmm. along the race course. And that was the first time I ever heard of that. Um, and it makes sense. I mean, you don't want someone, you can't have someone out there freshly pacing you to keep you ahead of your competition. No. So if they, if someone was out there on a bike, like this is the run course. Yeah. If someone was biking next to you or if, if someone was running next to you and they don't have a bib number on, that's, that's a pacing disqualification. Yeah. Whether or not they had intention to do that doesn't matter. So just beware that if someone's next to you, tell them to just go away because they don't, they should not be running next to you Mm. unless they were in a race, unless they were a participant. One other thing for Scott and anybody else who is in a hot weather climate for a race, uh, other places to put ice, Wendy, three areas, where would you put them that I'm going to say? Uh, Armpits. Armpits. Yes. Crotch. Yes. Hat. Hands. Palms. Oh, palms. Okay. Something about the, these parts of your, is it lymph nodes or glands? Lymph or something? nodes, yeah. Lymph nodes, yeah. So hands, even your neck, uh-huh. but armpits and then the groin, that'll help the body cool down faster than faster. just on your head. Mm-hmm. Of, the, of, the, of your choices, of your choices. Anyhow. Hey, Scott, good stuff. Thanks, man. I mean, this, don't feel... You, you're not the only one asking these questions. It's just that, uh, you know, Wendy and I have done this many, many, many years. So these things to us, like, oh, that, what, you wouldn't do that. But it's been a while since we didn't do that, right? You know, our first times we're going to ask the same kind of questions, like, where do I start my swim? Very legit. It's a great question. Mm-hmm. You know, the food thing, very smart question. I mean, we're always thinking that. And then even the liquid things, like, oh, well, okay, here's your answer. This mm-hmm. is, you know, this is how it is today. And here are some solutions. Uh, so good, solid questions, Scott. And I, I think that for those of you listening, like, oh, I've been there, done that, or I didn't know this, or yeah, those are obvious, but it, it spans the spectrum. I'll tell you what, when I did my sprint two weeks ago, I'm like, I feel, cause I was on a mountain bike. I'm like, I feel like this is my first race again. I'm doing the mountain bike thing. I'm just kind of taking it easy. I'm walking the run, you know? So again, I was back in my day as a first timer Mm-hmm. you know, putting myself in that situation as a first timer. And I've been doing this for 30 years. So, you know, you, for, you can forget what you did 30 years ago, unless you kind of repeat it and process it again. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I went on a, another bike ride. I've been on two, uh, road bike rides in the last 10 days, I think just be, mm-hmm. just like spur the moment, like, Hey, you know, Hey, do you mind if I go out and do a, a 30 minute bike ride? And that's all it was based on the route I was going it's like, you know, seven, eight miles just out and back. And um, it's like, I just want to go out and feel it. And then each each time, every time, Wendy, I get out, I put my kit on because that's I only have kits, you know, uh, from previous racing, you know, training racing stuff. So I put them on. I go, this feels good. I can't wait to get out there. It's like I get that bug just for a brief moment. And I then I think when I'm out there, it's like it, it takes a lot of work. I mean, this is <laughs> if I wanted to do this again. It's not just a half hour fun ride and, you know, come back home and get yeah. back to you know, clean up. It's like it's a lot of work um, and it's it's a dedication, commitment to doing this that I just don't have right now. I just don't have that time window to where I know what it takes. My kids are kind of young and it's like, ah, it's not the I'm not interested right now. But it does. The bug's still there. It's like uh, if I was starting over again, I feel like if I did it again, when I do it again, it'll be like starting over again of, all right, get back to basics, build, 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 hydrate, nutrition, sleep. Okay. All right. Don't do anything big. Start, you know, try to stay within yourself. And I I haven't touched my tri bike since (laughs) nine months ago. It's still in the garage. I just been using my road bike randomly. It's like, ah, it'd be nice to be able to get in the aero position. I was thinking that the other day, I would like to be in the aero position right now just to relax and you know, get down. I want to, but the bike's not set up that way. The road bike's not set up that way. Um, but it, it does, it does cross my mind that in time, if it is, it'll, for me, cause I started in 98, uh, I'll probably do it again. If I do it again, it'll be in a new age group. Like I'll start, I'll start up when I'm 54 and then try the 55 age group. And like I said before, I'll, follow my own advice, just finish, mm-hmm. you know, and pr- and show, show my kids, Hey, dad's at 55. He did this. All right, cool. There's, there's, there's the role model. There's the example, lifelong fitness. It's not always about, 
performance as it is fitness and uh, finishing. Right. So our, our, one of our mutual friends on team Timex and I were talking yesterday, he's doing his first hundred mile run in two months. He just got in, he was on a waiting list. And I was talking about, you know, 10 years ago, 10 years ago this year, I did a hundred mile run with really no experience. I had run 50 miles the year before. And it was just talking to him about, oh my gosh, if I could do it again, this is what I would change in my training and my nutrition as a buildup, yada, yada, yada. So I, for the first time since my surgery, I'm feeling like a hundred miler will be in my far distance future. Um, once I'm all recovered and I know that this kind of stuff isn't going to happen to me again. Yeah. You know, I, I messaged you a couple of days ago, whatever it was about, you know, have you done a 50? And then I asked you if you did a hundred, uh-huh. it was because a, a family friend, I think is preparing for a hundred, I think. And he was telling, he or she was telling other family members, it's going to take me, you know, uh, so many hours or it's going to take me. So, and then the question came up, can you can you do a hundred miles in 24 hours? And I'm, mm-hmm. I sat there for a second going, well, if a marathon, eh, if you do it at this pace, then I looked it up. If you, you could do it under a, a 14 minute pace, I think if mm-hmm. you didn't sleep a hundred miles in, in uh, 24 hours. And then oh. I looked up some of the records for it and then people who have done it, it's like, it is possible especially if you're on a, you know, on a, on a track or something how on a flat that, course. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, that'd be boring if it's a track, but it's possible. Uh-huh. It's like, Oh, okay. I wonder. And then, you know, I was thinking that's what I messaged Like, I wonder 50 is the starter. Okay. That's a couple of marathons. Okay. Do 50K. Do 50K. 50K is, uh, 32. 20, what is 32? Yeah. Is, is it because it's kind of a cool number and you, a K next to it? Is that why 50K seems kind of cool? No, 50K is a build up to a 50 miler. Okay. But 50K is pretty cool. Like I would much rather do a 50K trail race than a road marathon. Even though it's six miles longer, I just prefer prefer trail running over road marathons. I would do, again, if again, if I had to do it all over again and any mm-hmm. advice I give to people who want to do a 100 miler, don't do what I do and did. I ran a 50 mile Six weeks after I did Ironman Lake Placid in 2011, I had no, never ran on a trail, I don't think really basically in my life. I signed up for Run Rabbit Run in Steamboat. My friend was the race director. Hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but but I got done, and then he's like, oh, we added a 100-miler. You should do the 100-miler in 2012. And I'm like, okay. And I, I, I wasn't prepared. I didn't do sport specificity. I didn't train specifically on trails leading up to that, but I did do, I, so I did a 50 miler. I did do a 50 K and a 50 miler leading up to that hundred didn't finish the hundred. So then I had to go back in 2013 and, and finish it just to check it off. But then I missed triathlon. So then in 2014, I got back into triathlon. And then since moving to Georgia, I've gotten more and more, um, into trail running. And one of my goals for this year is possibly to do was to do steamboat run rabbit run again as my 10 year anniversary. So I don't mm. get to do that, but maybe someday I will again. Mm. But okay. if a hundred, I mean, so I would do a 50 miles great too, but a 50 K leading up to a 50 miler gives you some training progression to know what it feels like. And it's all relative to elevation. You could do a 50 K with 10,000 feet of elevation gain, and it could take you longer than a 50 miler with a thousand feet of elevation gain. So it's just time on your legs and experience. Yeah. seems like a lot of, um, a lot of pounding on the joints and, um, just, uh, I can just see like things breaking down even in some of my longer, when I was getting super fit for the, uh, Arizona last year and I was feeling comfortable at 15 and 18 miles, I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. this, this is what I do. My, everything's working. Uh, whereas a couple months earlier, it's like, uh, the hip joints weren't, you know, weren't happy with 10 Mm -hmm. miles, you know, or barely 13 miles, but then everything started to, uh, just get into a groove like, Oh, 15 and 18. Okay. I can do this. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, some pro. And I I think, okay, that seemed easy at the time, but can I imagine doubling that and just how much time it would take just to be on the road over and over again of the pounding on the joints, for something that long, and it just seems um, 
just seems hard. Well, that's why you do a trail because road running is going to put, give you more impact and injuries than doing it on a trail. Cause mainly a lot of, again, one reason I like ultra running is, is I like the steeper trails. I like the ultra runs with steeper trails because you hike up. So you don't pound your body by running mm-hmm. up, you hike up and you run down. And so it's on a trail. It's more forgiving than pavement and concrete. And it's just, it's just, I think better for your body to trail run. And so I would do, if you were to do a 50 K you know, you live out West, there's plenty to choose from, pick a beautiful course, go outside in nature and go have fun. Yeah. It just seemed like it'd be a lot of physical strength. Um, that's not just running strength. It's more like you using your whole body that I'm I just imagine right now, just the leaning into climbing up the hills, like a stairmaster. And then that, that pounding that your quads would take coming down those hills to uh-huh. absorb the impact. And then all the twists and turns. I, I I understand how beautiful it would be. I'd love to do it in the woods, you know, where it's trailed and uh-huh. covered. That would be more of an adventure. I mean, it just seems like, all right, see you tomorrow. <laughs> going. Maybe yeah. I'll see you. I'll see you next week. You know, I'll see you after the weekend because I'm going to be going just mm-hmm. on a long walking, running hike. That's what it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. It okay, is. It's on, it's exactly on the list. what it is. <laughs> it's on the list. It's not, it's not anytime soon, but it's on the list. Uh, I got a few more things to check off my list first, but anyhow. And I have to heal because thinking about it hurts my knees. <laughs> I hear you. Well, that uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that kind of little back and forth on some logistics, uh, Wendy's experience back in triathlon, some of our hopes and goals and dreams. And uh, wherever you are, it's okay to finish. And maybe look at a you know a short and long term goals of for yourself and for your family. Start a new age group. Shoot for the next age group. Just to complete it and prove to yourself you can. Because, hey, it must be nice to be fit, huh? It must be nice. And for you, it will be nice because you put the time in. Enjoy it, savor it, inspire others through your your actions. It, Wendy has inspired me. I'm sure she's inspired you. And let's inspire Wendy to, to get healthy again and get back to doing what she does best. Yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> For Coach Wendy, I'm Dave Erickson. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week of training, racing, and recovery. We'll see you next time. Adios. Adios.